Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 33. So it is true that we are now a third of the way through the course. This is often the point where, if I'm writing a novel, I first run into trouble. There's still a long way to go, but maybe now I've had some good days and some not-so-good days. Life has interceded, as life so often does, with competing bids for my attention and emotions, and I have a better idea of what I've got myself into, what completing this task feels like on the ground, so to speak. I just want to say, and this might come off as unhelpful, apologies if it does, but if at any stage you decide to put this course down, take a break from it, even not come back, that is absolutely fine. Doing this marathon, and it is a marathon, it is a colossal amount of work, only split down into bite-sized pieces, it should be an affirmation of your sovereignty, of your power to choose, not yet another rod for your back. Take it as far as it makes sense for you, keep going as long as you're still getting value for it, and if and when that's not happening, happening, stop. Yes, there is value and reward in pushing through. Yes, there's value in putting yourself in situations that give rise to discomfort. As someone who's struggled a lot with anxiety, I sometimes choose to go to events with my daughter where I know I'll probably feel a lot of anxiety. You know, live performances, spaces where there's a lot that's out of my control and a a lot of rules, and and that can be very stressful. You know, it can be a draining environment for me to be in. And it sometimes leaves me crabby and exhausted and not at my best. But I understand that in turning up to those sort of things, to the extent I feel able, involves my moving towards things that I value. You know, I value spending time with my daughter. I value giving her experiences and sharing those experiences with her. And I value challenging myself to do new things and uh, slightly extending the margins of my comfort zone, even when those things aren't easy. You know, I I like expanding the boundaries of what I'm capable of. But in counterbalance to that, I've started seriously limiting, for example, my time on social media, especially, you know, reading posts by strangers on Twitter. Because, yes, that is an experience that I find similarly draining and stressful, that feels out of my control, that makes me feel uh, grumpy and tired. But it's, it's not one aligned with anything that I value. It's just an unpleasant exercise in time wasting and not being kind to myself. So not wanting to bang on about it too much, but I think this is worth considering with regards to your relationship with writing. You know, why are you doing this? What's your buy-in? Because for the longest time, I think part of why I wrote was as a kind of superstitious ritual to maintain a sense that my life has worth and meaning. And, you know, I don't think you need to tell you need me to tell you that that is not healthy. Balancing the glass dull of your heart on this slender reed of putting one word after another word after another and always getting it right. Someday that read's going to break, and that's when the real work begins. I'm not saying that your reasons for writing are anything so dramatic necessarily, and I'm not saying that they have to be flippant and trivial either. Simply that when it comes to reasons for positive self-regard, you might consider diversifying your portfolio. You know, pray that you never become something so shriveled and restricted and silly and caricatured as an author. You know, the best art is done not by artists, but by human beings. At this point, I shall uh, slap shut the hymn book and guide us gently towards today's exercise. Thank you for hearing me out. You know, I know different people need different things from a course like this. So um, whether you zone out during my little pep talks or whether they give you a pinch of extra zest for the work that follows, I appreciate your bearing with me. The important thing is that this is not just a writing course or that writing is not just about writing A lot of it's to do with psychology as well, and I feel it's important to talk about these things because they're the reason that people give up and they're the reason that people don't enjoy writing and um, 
than the reason why I've struggled with it in the past. Right. So and now we've talked a bit before about the concept of the unreliable narrator. Or have we? Oh, maybe I'm deceiving you. Oh, ho, ho. Uh, I'm not 100% sure whether the term unreliable narrator is actually a bit misleading you know it's coined by the critic Wayne C. Booth in the 60s and although I've got reservations with what we might understand by the term itself his definition for my money is is very clear and, and pretty great actually quote I've called a narrator reliable when he speaks for or acts in accordance with the norms of the work which is to say the implied author's norms unreliable when he does not end quote I don't want to scamper too far down the lit crit rabbit hole here but basically what booth is saying is when an author ha when a narrator has opinions or an ideology or worldview make it markedly distinct from the author's and thus the ide ideology the novel is trying to sell us they meet the definition of an unreliable narrator basically their credibility has been compromised deliberately so in fact the reality of the novel of what the author chooses to present to us undermines the narrator's interpretation we don't need to look to fiction to find unreliable narrators. I've been reading the autobiography of the Japanese soldier Hiru Onada, who continued fighting the Second World War, hidden on an island in the Philippines until the mid-70s. In his account, he elides many important events of his stay on this island, including the minor detail that he and the two soldiers he went into hiding with in the jungle shot and killed three islanders during their extended 30-year guerrilla war. Now, you know, maybe he's being deliberately disingenuous, knowing that murdering civilians in peacetime made him look bad. Or maybe he just genuinely didn't consider their deaths important events in a war where deaths numbered in the millions. Any narrator actually makes choices about what they do and don't include in their story. A story is, by its nature, a process of exclusion. I could spend literally an entire novel's worth of words describing the items on my desk in front of me, their relative positions, their colour dimensions, texture, provenance, how I feel about them, etc. It wouldn't be very interesting for the average reader, but the fact is reality is fractal and you can pull as much data as you like out of any given moment. See the novel The Mezzanine for this uh, concept taken to its extreme. As soon as you choose, you know, n not to describe everything, you're exercising discernment and, in a sense, your viewpoint becomes partial, subjective and, yes, unreliable. So Booth says that an unreliable narrator needs to lose credibility by adopting an interpretation different to those held by the author. Now, I'd argue that if you're doing your job properly as an author, your first-person narrators will always do this they will always to an extent be unreliable if they're humans they will always see the world in a way that a misses a few things and b doesn't perfectly align with your interpretation of reality sometimes they might even under, uh, undermine your own dearly held positions right they might make a case contrary to the one you set out to make which is brilliant in my opinion anyway fiction would be a rather crummy boring enterprise if all we could produce were automata lifelessly parroting our own pre-tuned propaganda Sometimes we write unreliable narrators who see the world in a way we wish we could. You know, true believers or fanatics who are absolutely certain that they know what they ought to do and what the purpose of their life is. And of course, they may well run into trouble as a result because without conflict we have no story and maybe we use them to explore yearnings we've felt to experience the world differently. 
some unreliable narrators are just naive or outsiders. You know, they don't understand the rules of the environment you plonk them into. And so they report back stuff that has implications that they don't appear aware of. You know, actually, a narrator can be both naive and a true believer. They might observe the guru of their religious commune receiving a stream of young women to his private chambers and feel impressed that he's doing so much to minister to the spiritual needs of female devotees and at such late hours too. What an incredible feminist. Some unreliable narrators are out-and-out fantasists. You know, they, they, they might exaggerate or even out-and-out make stuff up, sometimes for benign reasons, you know, impressing folks in the tavern with their tall tales of daring-do, sometimes out of a sociopathic compulsion to cover up their crimes. Or they might be floridly insane and unable to distinguish between reality and hallucinations. You can have a lot of fun with unreliable narrators and you can do a lot of arty or interesting things, but I encourage you to think of all narrators in fiction as existing on a reliability spectrum. And also it's worth remembering that the reliability is very much in the eye of the beholder. The problem with Booth's definition, and I'm not the first person to observe this, is that it presumes we can know with any sort of certainty what the author's true purpose was and that we can clearly locate that purpose within their fiction. But to be honest, I'm, I'm not too keen on novels that just push a single ideological line. I, I like stories that are in conflict with themselves, where the answers aren't served up to us as pre-carved on nice little platters, but exist as messy oppositional forces. Anyway, what I'd like you to do today is to take the scene you've been working on and tell it from the point of view of an unreliable narrator. Could be one of the characters you mentioned already, tweaked to become less credible. Could be someone we've not encountered yet. Maybe someone who was there. Maybe someone who claims they were there. Maybe someone relating events secondhand. Maybe an historian years later or a journalist recounting what happened. It's worth thinking how you make you might make this unreliability manifest within the text. You know, does the narrator simply misread the intentions of people around them? Could they be very paranoid or hopelessly naive, assuming everyone around them has their best interests at heart? Might they be retelling this scene for a specific purpose, you know, trying to impress someone, exaggerating their role in it? Might their memory be flawed in some innocent but significant way? An unreliable narrator is often someone who gives us a deeply partial account. Either they've, you know, got a big emotional stake in what was going on or some very strong worldview or some other mental filter that modifies their what they experience. Maybe there are certain truths they cannot let themselves perceive. Maybe they're just, you know, really happy-go-lucky and, and think the best of everyone. Maybe they're a five-year-old who, who notices some things but fails to notice others. You know, they're not lying or anything. They just focus on the stuff that interests them and makes sense to them. And, and they probably just can't understand some of the adult nuances. So you're going to be rewriting your scene. This might be someone new. It might be one of your previous characters reimagined. Either is fine. Um, you know, and, and of course, one of your previous characters that you've written in a first person version might already be an unreliable narrator, in which case, you know, you can either exaggerate that or you can pick somebody new. Any of those things are OK. I am, of course, going to bequeath you the customary 10 minutes to have a play around with this. And just to go back to our previous work on character, remember that you don't need to necessarily, you know, in fact, I'm not sure that you even could plan all the key points of this person's psychology and unreliability in advance. You can, I think at least partially, go into this scene with their voice and, and sort of discover what they think through how they relay the scene sentence by sentence. Let it play out. Look for cues. Look for, I guess, like little 
little sort of manifestations within a single sentence and then follow that you know look for ways in which the character is making bids you know making offers to you and then expand out on those do feel free to go as bigger or as small and nuanced as you would like with the unreliability this is after all your sand pit right 10 minutes have fun three two one go
And there we are. Congrats. Another workout done, another assignment in the bag. How was that for you? How has your conception of this scene shifted since the original version? Are you still finding new nuances, you know, new story possibilities, or has the scene kind of exhausted itself? And, and which of these different approaches, these different styles that we've taken on thus far, have felt most interesting to you? Right, make sure you get plenty of rest, drink some water, pace yourself. Well done for your work. You're doing so great. Thank you very much, and I will see you tomorrow. The 100-Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.